Psalm 42, for the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the, the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The word of the Lord. Well, over the past decade, uh, we have seen a dramatic increase in uh, mental and emotional health struggles in our country. Things like anxiety, depression, addiction, suicide, loneliness. Many people say that this is a real crisis we're facing in our world right now. Add on top of that a global pandemic. What do you do when you're in the middle of one crisis and an even bigger crisis comes along. So for example, imagine that you discover you have mold in your house. That's a crisis. You need to pay attention to that immediately or things are gonna get a lot worse. People will die. But what if, just as you're about to get started on that mold problem in your house, your kitchen catches on fire? What are you gonna do? You're gonna drop everything and go put out the fire the urgency of reacting to the fire in your kitchen prevents you from responding to the mold in the rest of your house. You're just in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, everything else is off the table. You just got to focus on that one thing. For the past year and a half, we've been in survival mode, just doing what we can to not die. It's really difficult to find time and space in your life to attend to your mental and emotional health when, um, when you're in survival mode. But here's the really scary thing about this. You know, a fire in your kitchen is not gonna make the molds in your house any worse. But the really tragic thing about this pandemic is that it has taken the mental and emotional health struggles we already had and put them into hyperdrive. So for many of us, we've been so busy just trying to survive the pandemic that we haven't had a chance to respond and attend to the mental and emotional struggles 
in our lives. But what happens as we begin to come out of this? And and I'm not saying that we're out of the pandemic, nowhere near. But as we begin to at least imagine a world that isn't dominated by a global pandemic, what happens as we begin to move through the wreckage of our mental and emotional lives? How do we respond to that? What do we do with that? Um, Well, let me say right off the bat that many of us would benefit greatly from professional help. In fact, if you need help but you can't afford it, let us know because we have resources specifically devoted to that. But on a day-to-day basis, what does it look like to, um, to grow in mental and emotional health? In the middle of the Bible, there's an amazing collection of prayers known as the Psalms. And there is not a, a struggle or a challenge or an experience or an emotion that you will ever face that hasn't already appeared in the Psalms. The Psalms are like the prayer book for all of life. So over the next several weeks, we are looking at at many of our most challenging and difficult emotions and learning how to process those emotions um, by learning how to pray the Psalms as a spiritual discipline. The Psalms are like an ancient therapy that's been available for thousands of years. Now, this week, we just want to do an overview. Psalm 42, which we just read, is an excellent introduction to our emotions because it shows us three things. It shows us the importance of our emotions, the voice of our emotions, and lastly, the response to our emotions. The importance, the voice, and the response to our emotions. Okay, so first, the importance of our emotions. Now, this psalm is chock full of emotion, and not just one emotion. Emotions are never that simple. Emotions are complex. Emotions are multifaceted, and we see that in this psalm. So let's take a look um, at several of the emotions here. First, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. Now, um, my tears have been my food means he's not eating. Day and night means he's not sleeping. These are signs of clinical depression. Or look at verse 6. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you, he's talking about God, from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon was in the northern part of Judea. But at the beginning of this psalm, the title tells us that the guy who wrote it was one of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were temple musicians in Jerusalem, which is in the southern part of the country. So for whatever reason, this guy, and we don't know why, but maybe he was in exile, or maybe he had been taken captive. We don't know why, but he's up in the north. He's cut off and isolated from his home and his community. He's displaced. Or going further, if we look at verse 10, he says, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? His people are mocking and shaming him. He's feeling disgraced. Now, let me point out just a couple of other things about this, um, what's going on here. Right at the beginning, this is amazing to me, he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God. The picture here is of a a deer that goes to a river to get water, but but when it gets to the river, the stream is all dried up. It's it's a dry bed of of water. In other words, this is a picture of someone who's emotionally and existentially dehydrated. But the amazing thing to me is that just a little bit later in verse 7, he says, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is a picture of someone who's caught in a flood. 
Now think about this with me. This psalmist is saying, not only am I downcast, disturbed, displaced, disgraced, and, um, and depressed, but I am also dehydrated and drowning all at the same time. But, well, have you ever been so overwhelmed with sorrow that you feel like you're emotionally dehydrated and drowning all at the same time? We've all felt like that. But here's the really amazing thing about this. At one level, everything that's happening here is happening at a purely physical, earthly level. He's, uh, he's emotionally dehydrated. He's uh, existentially dehydrated. He's geographically displaced. He's physically depressed. He's relationally isolated. He's socially alienated. At one level, it's all happening at an earthly level, but at another level, what is the root of all of his troubles? What is the ultimate reason that he's so downcast? If you look through the psalm, you notice that every single one of his experiences here, he's connecting to his relationship with God. So for instance, he doesn't just say that my soul thirsts. He says my soul thirsts for the living God. This is a picture of somebody who believes in God, who loves God, trusts God, serves God, and yet he feels like he's lost God. He feels like he's lost the living reality of God in his life. He's lost God's presence. So in fact, when, when he says a little bit later, when can I go and meet with God? Literally in the Hebrew, that's saying, when can I appear before God's face? This is a picture of somebody who's suffering immensely because he has lost the living reality of God's intimate presence in his life. Friends, you realize what this is showing us? Here's why this is so important. This is showing us that our emotions are never only happening in our life in this world. That ultimately, our emotions play a much bigger, deeper role in our life. In fact, if you only remember one thing this morning, this is it. That our emotions are real, but the reality they show us is what our heart is doing with God. Our emotions are real, but the reality they show us is what our heart is doing with God. So for exam example, um, if you experience injustice, you're going to feel anger. But the anger you feel is also your heart crying out, God, are you going to do something about this? Or if you're afraid, the fear you feel is not just fear at whatever the physical threat is in your life, but a way of crying out, God, are you going to protect me? Or for, uh, to move on, you know, if you experience loneliness, it's not just relationally lonely, it's God, will you be with me? Or if you're experiencing shame, it's God, will you accept me? Our emotions are real, but the reality they show us is what our heart is doing with God. Now, you may not be sure what you believe about God this morning. In fact, you may be skeptical about this idea that our emotions are showing us what our heart is doing with God. Now, that makes sense at one level, because if there is no God and this world is all there is, then, you know, our emotions really are nothing more than, I don't know, biochemical reactions that help us survive or pick your theory. But even though we may feel things like existential disconnection and, and existential alienation and, and a longing for some kind of greater meaning and purpose beyond this world, the fact that we have those feelings is not proof that there's a God who meets those needs. But if there is a God who created you for relationship with himself, then those are the kinds of feelings we would expect to have if we are, in fact, 
disconnected from God. So for instance, Tara Isabella Burton is a wonderful writer and scholar. She wrote a book last year called Strange Rights. It's all about um, the various alternative spiritualities in our American society. It's about people who do not describe themselves as religious and yet are on a spiritual quest. At the very beginning of the book, you know, she's a researcher, so she has to do some disclosure, and she basically says, look, I didn't come to this project as a fly on the wall. I'm going to read you something that she says, but as I do, I want you to pay attention to the emotions that she describes. She says, I was a lonely academic theologian in my mid-20s, uncertain about my future, about what I believed about the world, about what was beyond this world. I studied God, but I had no idea what I actually believed. I remember both the wrenching terror that this world was, in fact, all there is, and the hope that maybe there was something more. This book is about the hunger and the hope I felt. It is about our quest for knowing, for belonging, and for meaning, the pilgrimage none of us can get out of. Now, you hear what she's saying. This is an academic, secular person who's nonetheless acknowledging all kinds of emotions about what might exist beyond this world. She talks about emotions like uncertainty and terror, but also emotions like hunger and hope for something beyond this world. And she's saying, we all experience this. Friends, the presence of emotions like this in our life does not prove that, that there's a God who meets those emotions, but, it, but they are the kinds of emotions that we would expect to have if that God, in fact, exists. Now, here's the question. What do we do with those emotions? Well, that leads to our next two points. We've just seen the importance of our emotions, but secondly, we need to see the voice of our emotions. Um, the psalmist here, the guy who wrote this, he actually responds in many ways to his emotions, but I want to focus on two big ways that we respond to our emotions. And the first is this, we need to listen to their voice. So for instance, there are, there's a verse in this psalm that actually gets repeated two times. It's like the chorus of a song. You know how choruses repeat? That, that means that whatever it is, is really important. So in verses 5 and again in verse 11, he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now what he's doing here is huge. He's asking his soul questions. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? He's, he's analyzing and probing and questioning his own heart. This is especially important because um, when we realize how radically different this is from different approaches, other approaches to our emotions. So for instance, a traditional religious approach to life um, is based on the idea that the way God's love and God's blessing comes into your life is by you being a good person. You have to be virtuous. You have to be holy. That's going to make it really difficult to be honest about the kinds of emotions that a religious approach to life is going to say you must never have. Like, they'll be like anathema to us. We'll deny ever having those kinds of emotions. We'll say, I'm not angry. I'm not depressed. I'm not lonely. I'm not sad. I'm living a triumphal life. Look at my Instagram feed. One of the things that makes this especially difficult, by the way, is that there's a core assumption in this religious approach to life that says that if things are going wrong in your life, you must have done something wrong. 
There's some sin you haven't confessed, some struggle you haven't surrendered to God, or some idol you haven't renounced. If things are going wrong in your life, it's because you did something wrong. Now, listen, there are other psalms and places in the Bible where things are going wrong in someone's life, and it is connected to some sin in their life. And we're going to look at some of those psalms in this series, but that's not always the case. So look at this psalm. He's feeling disconnected from God, like he's lost God. He's feeling depressed and overwhelmed. And yet, as far as we can see, he's done nothing wrong. There's no obvious sin in his life. If we always assume that the tragedies in our lives are because we did something wrong, that's going to make it really difficult for us to acknowledge our emotions. We're going to feel like we're not allowed to have those emotions. We need to fix them. We're going to say things like, well, I did something wrong. I'm not supposed to be feeling this way. I need to fix it. I need to change it. So for instance, one of the books that's been foundational for my spiritual life and and really is foundational for this whole series is a book called The Cry of the Soul. It's by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. Uh, in, In that book, one of the things they say is this. If we view difficult emotions as problems to be solved, we will end up looking for answers that will work rather than pursuing relationship with God. Rather than focusing on trying to change our emotions, we are wiser first to listen to them. Friends, traditional religion has a tendency to deny our emotions. But on the other hand, modern Western culture has a tendency to do the exact opposite of that. Instead of denying our emotions, we bow down to our emotions. So in our culture, our culture is built on the idea that that we must look inside our heart We must listen to our inner voice, and whatever that voice is saying, whatever we're feeling, we say, well, this is who I am. This is my identity. This is my authentic self. It doesn't matter what any other voice says. The only voice that matters is my inner voice, and if I'm not free to express that voice, then I'm being oppressed. Now, on the one hand, this is a tremendous affirmation of the unique worth and dignity of every individual human being. And we should affirm that part of it. And by the way, the reason that view is in our culture is because it comes to us directly from the Bible. You are not a cosmic accident. The Bible says that every human being is created in the image of God with inherent worth, value, and dignity as unique individuals. That is a profoundly biblical view of humanity that informs our culture. But on the other hand, we do, as a culture, tend to be very selective about the emotions that we enthrone. The reason is because, as a culture, we say we should only ever affirm ourselves, we should always feel good about ourselves, and we should always obey our deepest desires. So we will enthrone the emotions that, um, that make us feel good about ourselves and that show us what we desire, but, um, but if there's an emotion that makes us feel bad about ourselves, we'll say, well, that's not really me to begin with. That's the voice of society oppressing me. I shouldn't listen to that voice. Now, that may be true in some cases, but here's the question. What if our most painful emotions are are showing us something genuinely true about, about our relationship with God and what our hearts are doing with God? Do you see that that is exactly what's going on in this psalm? He's not denying his emotions, but neither is he bowing down to his emotions He's listening to his emotions. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? So when we experience painful, stormy, challenging emotions, 
rather than denying them or bowing down to them, we need to stop and, and ask ourselves three questions. First, what am I feeling? A lot of us actually aren't very good at identifying our emotions. What am I feeling? Am I anxious, angry? Am I bitter or sad? Secondly, we ask ourselves, why am I feeling this? Why am I anxious? Why am I angry or bitter or sad? And then lastly, we ask ourselves, what is this showing me about my relationship with God? What is this showing me about how my heart is struggling with God? Friends, we need to learn to listen to our emotions and what they're showing us about what our hearts are doing with God. Because here's, here's the thing. Here's a wonderful picture. Our emotions are like a window through which we look to see what our hearts are doing with God. Traditional religion tends to deny that the window even exists, whereas our modern Western culture really only ever looks at the window as if everything begins and ends with our emotions, but never through the window to show us what our hearts are doing with God. We need to learn to listen to our emotions. That's what this psalm, and really the whole Bible, shows us how to do. It's a radically different way of responding to our emotions. So if I could go back to Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, they, they put it really perfectly in their book. They say, the presence of disruptive emotions that feel irrational or out of control is not necessarily a sign of disease, sin, or trauma. Instead, it may be the signal that the heart is struggling with God. Are you listening to the cry of your heart? They say, therefore, we must view the ups and downs of our emotional life, not as a problem to be resolved, but as a cry to be heard? Are you listening to the cry of your soul? Are you listening to the cry of your heart? If so, there's one more step we need to take, and that leads to our last point. We've seen the importance of our emotions, and we've just seen the voice of our emotions. But lastly, we need to look at the response to our emotions. Because once we've started listening to our emotions, here's the real question. What do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Well, this psalm gives us some answers. If we go back to verses 5 and 11, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? So the first thing he's doing, as we've just seen, he's listening to his emotions. But then what does he do? Well, he talks to his soul. Really, he preaches to his soul. He says, put your hope in God. You see that? Not does he only listen to his emotions, but he's also talking to his emotions. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you know how to preach your emotions? I talk about this here from time to time, but it's worth um, repeating. You know, our culture says uh, that it's really important for us to practice self-affirmation. It means you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you say, hey, girl, hey, dude, you're gorgeous, you're awesome, you're wonderful. There is value in that, but even more important than learning how to practice self-affirmation is learning how to practice God-affirmation. Even more important than, than, than preaching to yourself how great you are is preaching to yourself how great God is. Because here's the thing, yes, your emotions are real, but the reality your emotions are showing you is the reality of what your heart is doing with God. But your emotions themselves are not ultimate reality. God is. And we need to be constantly reminding himself of his reality. That's exactly what this fellow is doing in this psalm. 
He, not once, but twice, he, he talks about remembering God, remembering who God is. He's remembering God, but he feels like he's been forgotten by God. So look at how he talks about this. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? He's talking about an experience in which he feels utterly, totally forgotten by God. And and all the people around him are mocking him. They're saying, where's your God now? I don't know if there's anything more agonizing and really more terrifying than feeling utterly, totally forgotten. For instance, the Pixar movie Coco is about a young boy named Miguel who lives in Mexico with his family. And Miguel wants nothing more in life than to be a famous musician. But one day on the Day of the Dead, which is all about remembering your loved ones, he strums a magical guitar and ends up in the land of the dead. And while he's there, he meets a skeletal musician named Hector, who agrees to help him get back home. And so what they do is they go to a friend of Hector, another skeletal guy named Chicharron. They go to his house um, looking for help, and and Chicharron is there lying on his hammock, and he's not doing very well. He says to Hector, I'm fading, Hector. I can feel it. Would you play me a song? And so Hector sits on the edge of the hammock, and he picks up a guitar, and he plays a song everyone loves on his own. And as soon as he's finished playing the song, his friend puts his hat on his chest and he gives a deep sigh. And he disappears. He just fades away like, like burning embers that they just go up in smoke. The whole time, Miguel is sitting there horrified, this poor little boy, because somebody who's already dead just disappeared. And he says, wait, what happened? And Hector says, he's been forgotten. When there's no one left in the living world who remembers you, you disappear from this world. We call it the final death. What kind of a death is worse and more final than death itself? It's being forgotten. And there there is no forgottenness more ultimate and more terrifying than being forgotten by God. That's what this guy in this psalm is experiencing. He feels forgotten, utterly forgotten by God. He feels like his soul is disappearing. And yet, even in the midst of that feeling forgotten, what does he do? He prays. He preaches to his soul. He remembers God. And so look at how he says it. He says, put your hope in God. He's talking to his soul. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, that word Savior there literally is the salvation of my face. The the picture here is of a God who comes to you, even in the midst of your most painful emotions, in the midst of feeling forlorn and forsaken, of cast aside and rejected, a God who comes to you and lifts up your face and shines upon you with his face, a face of love and acceptance and joy, delight. And you notice he says, I will yet praise him. That means he's not feeling all the feels right now. He's not feeling the joy and the praise and the celebration, but he says, I will. I will yet praise him. I I feel right now like I'm forgotten, but I am going to preach to myself. I'm going to remind myself that there is a God 
who remembers me even when I feel forgotten. And even in the practice of preaching to himself like that, it begins to lift up his face. Friends, you know how to preach to yourself like that. The only way that he could pray like that and the only way that you and I can pray like that is to see that this psalm ultimately points forward to the ultimate one who was forgotten so that you could be remembered. Because the the real voice praying this psalm and the ultimate voice that we all need to listen to is the voice of Jesus, the ultimate one who said to God, why have you forgotten me? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ did not just feel forgotten. He was forgotten. He was really forsaken. And understand, Jesus Christ is the only person in the world who never did anything wrong. He lived a perfect life. He lived an utterly perfect life, and yet nobody had a worse life than Jesus. It means that the gospel is not you give God a perfect life and God gives you his love. The gospel is Jesus gives God a perfect life, and God gives you the love that Jesus earned for you. Because on the cross, Jesus was utterly, totally forsaken, abandoned, and rejected. And not only that, but all the people around him taunted and mocked him, saying, where's your God now? He saved others. He cannot save himself. You know, they were speaking more truly than they knew because the only reason that Jesus could save you and me was by not saving himself, but by giving himself. Jesus got the reality of forgottenness so that the reality of your emotions could be transformed by the infinitely greater reality of God's love, God's salvation, lifting up your face and shining upon you with love. Friends, Jesus is the reality. He is the voice that we most desperately need to listen to because, yes, your emotions are real. And we need to listen to that. We don't deny them, but neither do we bow down to them because your emotions are showing you the reality of what your heart is doing with God. And we need to listen to that voice But while we listen to our emotions, we've got to also remember that our emotions are not ultimate reality. God is. And so while we listen to our emotions, we also need to to listen to another voice, the voice of Jesus, the the, the true voice of, of the one who was really forgotten so that we could be really remembered. Listen to your emotions, but also learn how to preach to your emotions. Do you know how to do that? Take this psalm. And let it teach you. Take some time this week to get into a quiet place all by yourself and take these words upon your lips. And as you pray this prayer, listen for the voice of Jesus, the true one who was forgotten so we could be remembered, and hear his voice speaking the reality of God's love to you. Would you pray with me? Abba, we thank you that while our feelings are real, And that while they do show us the reality of what our heart is doing with you, that our feelings themselves are not ultimate realities, you are. And we pray this morning that you would help us to to fully honor everything we're seeing in this psalm. Lord, that you um, created us as emotional beings because you are a God who experiences emotion. And so we should never be ashamed or afraid to listen to our emotions, but to, but, uh, to acknowledge them, but to listen to them, Father. Help us, we pray, to ask ourselves, What are we feeling? Why are we feeling it? What is it showing us about our relationship with God? And then strengthen us, Father. Teach us to to pray these prayers and to preach to ourselves, but ultimately to hear the voice of our Savior Jesus preaching to us the reality of his love 
But we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.